Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we're beginning a series on the book of Revelation called It's the End of the World as We Know It. We're going to be looking into a a very controversial book, and this is kind of the intro to the series, uh, kind of dealing with some of the issues of of the problematic Revelation over the years. So let's go ahead and head to the talk. And don't forget, we have a class coming up in about a week and a half called Disarming Scripture. Uh, it'll be on Wednesday night, so you can find out more on the web, northshorevineyard.org. Thanks for listening. The best apocalyptic theology comes from old blues songs, so. <laughs> Tell you what, hey, can you scoot this stuff back a little bit, because I'm, I'm about to fall over. Well, we, we just celebrated, this month we're celebrating our five-year anniversary of North Shore Vineyard, and it's actually the five-year anniversary of me actually being a, a full-time vocational pastor. And so being a pastor full-time has afforded me the opportunity, among other things, to actually get to know other pastors. And when you, you, what I've found is there's a few kind of questions that come up when I new, meet new pastors for the first time. The first question is, how many people show up on a Sunday morning? And then the second question is, how much money do you bring in on the weekend? These are things that pastors are concerned about. And, and if you answer positively to those first two questions, we got lots of people and lots of money, then they want to know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so oftentimes when people ask me what I teach on, I just jokingly say the book of Revelation. And I, I jokingly say that because every pastor in their right mind knows you don't do a series on the book of Revelation, right? You're, you're better off telling people in the South that Jesus wants to take away their rights to own guns <laughs> or preaching on gluttony, <laughs> you know. It's, it's, it, you, you just save the book of Revelation for when you've just got way too many people showing up on the weekends, more money than you know what to do with. You know, guys, we could either go to two services, or I could preach on the book of Revelation. And, uh, and that's kind of the way that that, that, that works, because the, the book of Revelation, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, some of you don't have any baggage. Uh, you will at the end of this few weeks. But um, the book of Revelation is, is probably one of the most polarizing books in the Bible, and, and people uh, tend to land in, in very opposite of camps. There's not a whole lot of middle ground with the book of Revelations. Uh, uh, Revel- I, I keep saying Revelations. Uh, it's Revelation. But um, there, there are kind of two major approaches that I see in modern American concerning the book of Revelation. There are those who are obsessed with the book of Revelation. Did anybody go to a church that was obsessed with the book of Revelation growing up? Anybody? Okay, yeah. Uh, and and if you haven't attended a church like that, you've probably at least seen their signs. Because I've seen a correlation between churches that like putting messages on their signs and churches that preach the end times a whole lot. Um, my dad actually uh, attends, uh, he's, he lives up in East Texas, and he attends this very small rural Baptist church where in his mid-60s, he's one of the youngest people there. He's in the youth group. <laughs> and and he... <laughs> 
he, he, he told me that, that this church has a revival service a couple of times a year. And by revival, they mean they're going to bring in a traveling evangelist who is going to spend the whole week talking about the end times in the book of Revelation. Because there's no better way to scare somebody into follow Jesus than to talk about the world coming to an end, right? And so uh, he goes, you know, he, there are churches that do that. There's a church down on the South Shore I've, I've passed in, you know, going down Mes- Esplanade and Metairie. And this church has signs out there every time I pass by. And you, you've probably seen the church before. I don't even know what the name of the church is, but I, I've, I've seen their signs. And, and they have signs that say, you know, uh, who is the Antichrist? Find out this Wednesday. <laughs> Find out the mark of the beast. And if you have it, uh, followed by a potluck in the fellowship hall. Other churches aren't quite so subtle. I, I, I saw a, a, one of those marquees. I want to get one of those things outside that, you know, where you can change the letters. I don't know if downtown Covington would appreciate that. But I saw a sign one time, you know, it said, have you been fornicating with the whore of Babylon? <laughs> Come repent this Sunday at our church. That's a, that's a good way to get people in. Churches do these, these courses on how to attract people to your church. That's... A, that's Number one on the list. So you've got two groups. You've got people that seem to be obsessed with Revelation. It's all that they ever talk about. And then you've got the other 95% of churches in America who just pretend that Revelation isn't in the Bible. Right? And I would say I've been in that camp most of my life. For those of us who are in that camp, Revelation is kind of like that crazy relative that shows up at your family reunion that's prone to making off-color <laughs> comments and inappropriate sayings and you just kind of hope that that guy will just sit in the corner put some food and drink in front of him and and hope that he just doesn't draw too much attention to himself and that's kind of the way we taught you know treated the book of revelation it's the crazy relative that (laughs) he's there he's a part of the family but don't engage him much (laughs) don't talk to him just stay over here you know I, i watched a documentary on rock and roll a few years ago, and, and I, I loved what this one commentator said about the history of rock and roll. He said, the, the band Led Zeppelin has spawned more awful bands than any other rock and roll band in history. Now, what they meant by this is uh, Led Zeppelin was very good at doing what they did. Nobody else was very good at doing what Led Zeppelin did. So <laughs> a lot of these garage bands, they're like, man, we want to be like Led Zeppelin, and then they try it, and they realize it's, it's a little bit more difficult than it appeared. And so uh, a lot of people trying to be Led Zeppelin sounded awful. And I would say that, that the book of Revelation is kind of the Led Zeppelin of the Bible. It has inspired more uh, bad theology and toxic movements in the history of Christianity than any other book. It's scary. And, and, and I, I, you know, I, I joke about doing a series on, on, on Revelation because I've been terrified about it. I mean, honestly, I haven't even looked at Revelation uh, for years because it's just, it's scary. It's full of all kinds of weird imagery, animals covered in eyes, valleys filled with blood, Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. It's, it's, it's off the charts crazy. But I, I'm in good company. Because as I began researching this series, I realized that the, the book of Revelation has been controversial since almost its inception. One of the first heresies in the early church was a group called the Montanists that, that, uh, 
they, they got all off into the book of Revelation. They're like, this is our favorite book. And then they start like prophesying, just getting wiggy, uh, crazy. And uh, that was one of the first heresies. And then Eusebius, who was one of the first uh, persons, uh, church leaders, who tried to come up with the, the early canon of scriptures, you know, what books get to make it into the New Testament. Eusebius had this, this kind of way of, of calculating which books were inspired and not. And so he had three categories. The first category that Eusebius had was those books that are definitely inspired by God, definitely need to go in the canon. The second category that he had was, you know, the maybe books, you know. These are maybe inspired worth another look. The third category, we're like, these are definitely not inspired. Need to leave those out. Which category do you think he left Revelation in? Actually, he put Revelation in two categories, one and three. <laughs> definitely inspired by God, definitely not inspired by God. <laughs> and, that, and, and these are early church people. They had a problem with this. And it's not just the early church folks that were having a problem. And by the way, Revelation was, was the last book to get in the Bible, and it only made it in by the skin of its teeth because it was so weird, and they saw that if we let this book be in the Bible, it's going to produce some problems. And it has. It hasn't failed to disappoint. Uh, for the last 1,900 years, there have been apocalyptic movements that have sprung up, apocalyptic cults. There have been numerous people throughout the ages who have, have tried to... Uh, you know, put a date on when Jesus is going to return. I'm sure many of you in here have grown up hearing dates. You know, I know when I was a kid, there was this book called uh, The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody hear that or read it? Uh, yeah, and it, it inspired like apocalyptic fever uh, within the evangelical church. The, the people that were coming into church through the Jesus movement, fundamentalists, they, they latched on to Hal Lindsey's interpretation of, of the end times and people were doing all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, stocking up food in their, in their houses and r racking up credit card bills. They're like, that's okay, Jesus is coming back. <laughs> Just going to go in debt. <laughs> uh, and, and people doing all kinds of things. I remember when I was a, a teenager, anybody remember this book? It was called 88 Reasons that Jesus is going to return in 1988. Did anybody ever hear that one? It was an actual book. But it didn't It, it didn't work. <laughs> And so, in 1989, they came out with 89 reasons that Jesus will return in 1989. And, and then, y'all remember this guy, Harold Camping? I think he was the, the head of Family Radio Network. Uh, I think that's the right radio network, a big radio network, we'll just say. And uh, he, he was famous for predicting that the end was going to come uh, back in October 2012. And then he had to revise it to five months later. Um, and then when that didn't happen, he didn't get, he, he passed away since then, but he, he didn't make any more predictions, but actually I found out that he actually made predictions that the, the first prediction he made was 1996. And so we, we get into this kind of apocalyptic fever thinking like, when's the end of the world going to be? And, you know, not to mention some of the really crazy stuff, David Koresh, remember that guy, uh, Branch Davidians back in 1993, when his compound met its uh, demise. Uh, he was actually writing a commentary on none other than the book of Revelation. Uh, and Except I think he actually placed himself as the son of God versus Jesus, so uh, it was problematic. Uh, but we see even in our day, in the last two decades, there's the rise of the Left Behind series, one of the best-selling uh, Christian fiction books ever. Uh, and not to mention... The movies that have have come uh, since then, 
Maybe we ought to have a movie night and show the, the Nicolas Cage version. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's just a joke. I'm not going to subject y'all to that. Something about mixing Nicolas Cage and apocalyptic stuff. It's just not a good idea. So, I, you know, in my early days of being a Christian, I, I've said that most of my time, uh, you know, over the last 20 or so years of being a Christian, I, I've really not paid much attention to Revelation. That's because in the early days of being a Christian, I was fascinated with the book of Revelation. I drove to Louisiana like in 93 to, to live in Hammond, and I packed up everything that I owned in this little 1979 Toyota Corolla hatchback. It was, it was cream-colored <laughs> with black-tinted windows, otherwise known as a chick magnet. <laughs> and I packed up everything I, I, I owned into that, and I remember just being a new Christian, and the only thing I got in that car was AM radio. And kids, AM radio is this, like, Part of the radio, it's, do kids even know what radio is anymore? Okay. Um, but I, I would drive around listening to this program on Revelations on the Christian radio station every day. It was like two hours long. And they had everything figured out. I was blown away. Like they had decoded the mysteries of Revelation. It was not mysterious. They knew that, that Gorbachev was going to be the Antichrist. They were, they were fairly certain of that. If not him, it was going to be Prince Charles. If not him... It was going to be the Pope. And if not this Pope, then the next Pope. But it was one of those, just a handful of characters qualified, and they had it figured out. They had it figured out that this, this beast in Revelation symbolized China, this one symbolized Russia, and, and, and China was going to attack this way, and Russia was going to attack this way, and this one symbolized America. And I would just listen to this thing every day, fascinated, because... Uh, like they were discerning the world events, you know, Chernobyl, it's right here in Revelation, and this event, you, you know what I'm talking about, any of y'all, anybody have apocalyptic fever? Um, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, they, they, they figured out everything that Revelation's about, it's being fulfilled right now, and we can, we can point to the exact thing. Now, I've never been a big fan of horror movies, I mean, I like some scary movies, occasionally, it's always seemed weird to me to, you know, pay good money, you go sit in a dark room with a bunch of strangers and get scared. Like for my money, I'll, I'd rather spend it a different way. But, you know, I think Revelation, listening to these programs on AM radio, they scratch that itch, you know, to be scared. <laughs> Except, you know, when you watch a scary movie, it's different. Because when you walk out at the end, it's over. You can go like, that was really scary. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. Let's go to Wendy's. <laughs> but I found myself, after I would listen to one of these programs, like the scary stuff was yet to come. I mean, the whole program was scary, but the way they were talking, any day, man, the world is just going to fall apart in apocalyptic flames. And so I was both kind of repulsed and, and fascinated. You know, like I couldn't look away. But the, but the thing is that, that over time I began to see the fruit of all this stuff in my life. And maybe you can identify with this. I began to see that by, by digging so deep into this certain idea of revelation that I was becoming fearful. I was becoming paranoid. Everything in the world was a conspiracy. And, and, and I was starting to pull away from, from society 
and, and, and actually get kind of greedy, you know, like hoard my resources. It, it, maybe you've experienced this in your own life before. But, you know, you ever watch that show Doomsday Preppers? That's, that's a weird show to me because it's the, it seems kind of arrogant. You ever, you <laughs> I mean, these guys, they, they build a bunker in the middle of nowhere. And they fortify it and they put food in there for three years and booby traps around it. And it's armed. It's, it's this amazing fortress. And they think that somehow their one little piece of real estate on planet Earth is going to survive the striking of a comet <laughs> or a supervolcano or a nuclear assault. And they're going to make it there. And then they're just going to live happily ever after in a world that's been destroyed. Which, like, why would you want to do that anyway? But I, I, I can definitely see that, that tendency to doomsday preppers. I've got some friends that are doomsday preppers. And they, you know, they're, they're hoarding stuff because the world's going to end and, and we want to survive. But it began to occur to me that that tendency was, you know, living in fear and paranoia and, and hoarding your stuff. Like, like, that's not like, that doesn't look like Jesus. It seems very different. So over time, I just moved you know, down the road a bit. I began to be the guy that ignored Revelation. You know, we're going to talk in the coming weeks. There are a few different views to the book of Revelation. The, the most popular view in America right now, at least on a, on a popular cultural level, is, is uh, what you would call pre-tribulation. Now, I'm going to say a bunch of weird terms that you don't use at the water cooler at your work, but just stick with me, okay? Pre-tribulation is this idea, it's kind of, if, you've, if you've read Left Behind, it's kind of the premise of Left Behind, that Jesus is going to rapture the church, that means take, take all the good guys out of the mix, and then the world is going to descend into chaos, and then, uh, you know, so that's called pre-tribulation rapture belief. Then you have people that are post-trib, that's the, the, that's the way we talk about it as pastors, post-trib, um, Post-tribulationists believe that God's not going to take the church out of this. The, the tribulation, by the way, it's a, it's a bad time to be around earth. It's going to be really tough, uh, all kinds of bad stuff happening. There's post-tribulationists, and they believe that, that Jesus is not taking the church out of it, but that Jesus is going to come back at the end of the tribulation. And then there's the camp that I found myself in after a few years of being obsessed with it. It is the pan-tribulationists. And pan-tribulationists believe that they don't know if Jesus is coming back at the beginning or the ending, but they, they believe that it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> and so I, I, I bet we've got a lot of pan-tribulationists in here. <laughs> okay, that's my one revelation joke. I don't know what I'm going to do at the Valley of Armageddon in a few weeks, but... Uh, So, after this lengthy introduction, why the heck are we going to do a series on the book of Revelation? Well, um, I have discovered over the last few years of looking into some really great New Testament scholarship and theology, uh, attending, uh, you know, classes and, and lectures, that Revelation is really um, perhaps a different book than we tend to realize. It actually is a book about following Jesus. It's a book about discipleship. It's a book about worship. It's a book about thriving when times are difficult. And so I think it's great that we've done, you know, we spent like two and a half years going through the gospel of John. Don't worry, we're not going to be that church that spends two and a half years going through the book of Revelation, okay? Uh, 
You go to that church. Uh, 15 weeks went in. We'll be on chapter 2. Um, but I think it's great that we've gone through the Gospel of John, then we've gone through the Beatitudes a few months ago to launch straight out of these Gospel teachings and pictures of Jesus into the book of Revelation. Because for years, my problem with Revelation is that the Jesus in Revelation looked very different from the Jesus in the Gospel of John and Luke and Matthew. You with me? Like Jesus in the Gospels, like he was nice. He loved people. He was accepting. He would forgive people. He said, love your enemies. But Jesus in Revelations is angry Jesus. He's mad. You know, Mark Driscoll, a, a pastor, former pastor from a, a church up in Seattle, he is, is quoted as saying, um, I, I can't worship this, this Jesus that's portrayed in the church that just seems, you know, like a hippie and, you know, all loving and stuff. I can't worship a Jesus I can beat up. He says, the Jesus I'm going to worship is the Jesus from Revelation who's got a tattoo down his leg and a sword and he's got a commitment. He's a pride fighter with a commitment to make someone bleed. Yeah, I can worship that Jesus. But this shows the disconnect. We really actually think that Jesus of Revelation, he's different than the guy that hung out with sinners and, and was loving and stuff. We think there's a disconnect. But what you're going to learn, should you decide to come back, <laughs> is there's not a disconnect between the Jesus of the gospel and the Jesus of Revelation. In fact, even though Revelation is scary and it's bloody looking and violent looking, that you're going to find beyond all this that Jesus wins the battle the same way he won it in, in the Gospels, through self-sacrificial love. And I can tell you already, in studying for this series, I, I've not ever been excited, this excited. I'm thinking, I'm excited about like talking about Revelation. Because I'm finding just in my own personal devotion to God, in my own personal times of worship, I'm finding them, them energized by digging into these scriptures. So I want to, I want to. I'll, I'll read one quote up from a New Testament scholar named Michael Gorman. He said, "Revelation is primarily good news about Christ, the Lamb of God who shares God's throne and who is the key to the past, present, and future, and therefore also about uncompromising faithfulness, leading to undying hope, even in the midst of unrelenting evil and oppressive empire." Who wants to hear that good news, right? Like, that sounds like something we could actually use in our world today, right? We live in a world where there's all kinds of evil running rampant, as we just even saw this week with the, uh, the, the, the thing in Paris. So I want to look at a few different ways to approach the book of Revelation, and then I'll kind of give you a, a, a view of where I'm going with this. Um, there are... Four main views, ways of reading Revelation that have been popular in the church. The first is what we would call preterism. Now, this is probably going to sound a little bit more like a lecture. I'll try to keep, it, keep you awake here for a second. Um, but preterism is the idea that the book of Revelation is primarily a book for the church at that time. So when you read, we're going to actually start covering this next week, uh, when you read that this was a letter that was for the churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor, um, preterists believe that this, 
this book of Revelation actually meant something to actual churches in an actual point in history, and that most of Revelation was actually fulfilled either within the first or second century. That's preterism. The second view would be historicism. Now, this view was popular up until a couple of hundred years ago. Uh, it has fallen out of favor with most, most uh, theologians and Bible scholars. Uh, it was basically the view that, that uh, Revelation is, is the unfolding of the history of the church. And so you can find the history of the church kind of uh, mapped out in Revelation. Um, the third category, which is probably the popular one in America right now, would be futurism. And this means that the, the book of Revelation was not for the early church. It's actually for a much later date. And so the book of Revelation is something that speaks to events and happenings that will happen maybe hundreds or thousands of years later. And so this is why when I'm driving around in my car listening to the Revelation, these people are coming from a futurist angle. That they're trying to discern, is this the event that was prophesied and foretold in Revelation? And then finally we have idealism. Idealism sees the symbolism of revelation as symbols that mean something to Christians throughout the ages. So idealism is not concerned with timeline. It doesn't really see a point of saying whether this is for people in the past or whether it's for the future or literal or all. But they, they see that, that, that revelation has symbols that provide meaning to the Christian experience throughout time. Now from all my study on revelation, I've... I've I got stacks of books. Uh, well, I got a Kindle recently, so they're not stacked up, but I got lots of them. And what I have discovered is, is it, it seems like probably the best approach to Revelation is to combine preterism, futurism, and, and uh, idealism. Now, what I would say, one of the reasons that I want to do a series like this, I feel like where we've been distracted uh, in our country is we've had such a futuristic view of the revelation that we miss the, the actual point of revelation. I do believe that there are future components of revelation, but I believe I would come down in the preterist camp that I believe most of the book of Revelation actually had to do with actual people in an actual time in history, and they knew exactly what the book was talking about when it got delivered to them. Okay? That said... I want to make it clear that we want to do this with humility. <laughs> when it comes to certain aspects of the Bible, particularly Genesis and Revelation, we need humility. I think people fight over this stuff all the time. I'm, in no, I'm not interested in having fights and splitting up the church over this. I will present a view that, that really makes sense to me. And if you don't agree, that's fine. I'm not trying to, to say that I've got it all figured out. I don't, man. It's a, it, the book looks like a drug trip. I mean, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's like trying to decipher the, the you know, it's, it's just crazy. Like trying to like, how do you make sense of this? But I, I, will, I will present a way that makes sense to me uh, historically, uh, to the early church, and to the picture of Jesus that we see contained in the rest of the New Testament. Okay? But I just want to say that, that, you know, when it comes to the church, you know, the earliest creeds of the church, they didn't say much about how everything was going to end. You look at the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, what they basically say this, we believe there's a resurrection and, and that, that we will all physically be resurrected one day, get upgrades in our bodies, 
And that we believe that, that Jesus is going to come back to judge the living and the dead. That's it. And to be a part of the church, that's about all you got to believe in, okay? I mean, that, you believe in the whole creed. But as far as end time stuff, that's about it. The rest of it is going to be speculation on our part. Now, just because we are speculating, I think there are better ways to speculate than others, okay? I don't think all ways of speculating are equal. But I do want to say this. I do believe with the rise of certain apocalyptic ideas in the culture, I don't believe they produce good fruit. And I've said this time and time again. We need to judge our theology by the fruit that it produces. Does our theology lead to looking more like Jesus or does it lead to fear, uh, pulling away from the world, uh, hoarding our resources? If your theology, if your outlook on revelation causes you to hoard stuff, to hide away, to get in us versus them thinking. And by the way, the book of, the book of Revelation, you can trace the theology that many people have gotten out of Revelation straight to some of the worst atrocities that Christians have perpetrated in the name of Jesus. So while there's all this talk about the Antichrist, which, by the way, uh, is not mentioned in Revelation, the actual Antichrist, the word, <laughs> neither is the rapture, by the way. Uh, but for all this talk about the Antichrist, it is actually possible to read Revelation in a way that makes you Antichrist. <laughs> there it is. Okay, so we need to judge our theology by the fruit that it bears, okay? And so, I'll, I'll touch a little bit here on, and so, so basically, on, on, on the fact of, uh, let's walk in humility with this. I will be presenting some things. You don't have to agree with me. I'm fine. You don't have to be right. Um, no, just kidding. You don't have to agree with me. I really, and, and, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine discussing these things with anybody. If you, got, if you want to, I learn stuff from people all the time that I disagree from, okay? So I'm not interested in making this, like, if you don't believe the way we do on the end times, you're getting kicked out of this church. I don't care what you believe, honestly. But I do feel like we're going to learn how to follow Jesus better by looking at it this way, okay? So, are we good? Okay. So, here's a few... Um, a few themes that I want to cover, and then we'll uh, close things down here real quick. Um, a few of the uh, ways of looking at Revelation. Number one, uh, Revelation is, is a genre of literature that we don't have anymore. It's called apocalyptic literature. Uh, you can find other apocalyptic literature in the Bible, like uh, in parts of Daniel and Ezekiel. Uh, there are intertestamental books books written between the Old and New Testament, like the book of Enoch, it's, it's apocalyptic, uh, for Ezra, there are all kinds of books that if you want to find out what apocalyptic writing is like, it's like the stuff in Revelation, but it's a genre, and in apocalyptic, uh, in that genre, you would use vivid symbols to communicate a reality, and we, we understand this today, right, that Sometimes, do you find like watching a movie speaks to you more than, than just hearing a story on the news, right? You know what I mean? Like this, this uh, 
this movie that came out, Unbroken. I haven't seen it yet, but I've talked to several people that, that read the book. But, you know, so, so sometimes just watching a, a vivid portrayal of it speaks to your heart in a way that just hearing the facts of, ah, there was this guy, and he had a plane crash, and he got stuck on an island. There's a way of speaking to you with art. That's why I love art. By the way, one of our artists in the church, Rachel, she just uh, created this out of some of the message that we did, and put that up. Rachel Crawford, where are you? Right back there. And this cool picture on our slide is created by another one of our local artists, comic book artist uh, Joe Benon. And uh, But the apocalyptic genre, it uses vivid symbols to get at a reality. Now, we don't read the apocalyptic genre literally. We don't read it the same way that we would read the, the writings of, of Paul because John is, is communicating through symbols. If you ever read the, the Chronicles of Narnia, anybody read that by C.S. Lewis? That's a book that is filled with symbolism. You've got Aslan, the lion who represents God. You've got witches. You've got all kinds of weird creatures that talk and, and different places, different planets, and, and, and it's mysterious. But the point that C.S. Lewis was trying to do was to use story and analogy and narrative to, to get at another reality. He wasn't saying that Jesus is a lion, right? An actual lion. He was actually symbolically speaking of what God's like. And so the same thing goes for... Uh, the apocalyptic genre. The fundamental purpose of Revelation is that God and Christ are victorious. Christ is already the ruler of the kings of the earth, and to the church, you're on the winning side. So if you were the early church back in that day, things are starting to get pretty bad. You're starting to get persecuted. This book was to say, hang on. It may look like Rome's in charge, but it's not. Jesus is overcome. Y'all with me? Okay. And then finally, I want to say that, what did I want to say? Oh, yeah, I, I wanted to say this, but somehow I missed it in my notes. Okay, well, looking at the book of Revelation, I'll just say this without notes. <laughs> One of the things we're going to do as well is look at it historically. And so we're going to, next week, we're going to start looking at the first three chapters of Revelation, which are actual letters to an actual church, to actual churches. So it's a letter to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And so we're going to try to step into the world of these first century churches. These were young uh, churches. They, they probably met in homes. Um, and they were in some of the key cities of the Roman Empire. And, and some of these churches were, were beginning to experience a little bit of persecution they would all experience great persecution within a few decades. Um, but we want to step into their world and find out how would they have heard this letter. Because at the end of the day, there are things that we've made very mysterious, like who the Antichrist is, you know, uh, the, the beast. We've made the, you know, who's the beast? Well, it tells them right in Revelation. I'm not going to tell you who the beast is today because we're going to put that sign up in a few weeks. And I want you all to keep coming back. But the, but the book of Revelation actually tells them who the, the, the beast is. It says, look, if you want to know who the beast is, here's the number that symbolizes his name, and you know what I'm talking about. Basically, that's my paraphrase. Um, the book of Revelation 
actually tells you what many of the symbols are. When you read it, it tells you these lampstands, they symbolize the church. This means that. So they're helping us on. So the, the apocalyptic genre, it, we just need to follow the clues to the reality. And I think when we approach it historically, we begin to see that, wow, this makes a lot of sense. So we're going to look at it historically. We're going to look at it. Uh, we're going to approach it as apocalyptic literature. And then finally, we're going to look at it as a handbook for discipleship. Because that's where it gets fun for us as a church. Uh, otherwise, it just becomes intellectual, okay? And I'm not interested in just, you know, having intellectual ideas about revelation. I'm interested in how can we follow Jesus better? How can we more love God and love people through, through reading this stuff and dialoguing on this together? So Revelation is a book about worship, and there's so much stuff in the book of Revelation about worship. It's about the victory of Jesus, that Jesus has already conquered, the Lamb has overcome. It's a book about faithfulness, being faithful to God in tough times, and God's faithfulness to us. And finally, it's a book about renewed creation. The, the last two chapters of, of Revelation give us a glorious vision of how heaven and earth are renewed. And how God finally makes his dwelling among people the way he did back in the Garden of Eden. And we see that God brings healing to the nations. And, and, and that we find that everything is, is put back in harmony. God, humans, and creation the way it once was. And that's where we're going to this, through this thing. So it's a, it's a story that may look violent and scary and have all kinds of imagery, but that imagery is meant to inspire us and wake us up to the realities of God, not to scare us. Because ultimately, this is a beautiful story. It's the story of what God's doing. No other book in the New Testament has such a high Christology, high view of Jesus Christ as the book of Revelation. No other book in, in, in the New Testament has the, the theological uh, underpinnings of Revelation. And so, with that said, um, that's all i got to say about that. <laughs> with that said, uh, there's a little homework for next week. I figured we could do this one of two ways. I could read large chunks of Revelation each week, or you could read it on your own. And so rather than having to listen to me uh, do that, we're going to let you read it on your own. So I just ask that, that this is just kind of an intro to the series. Uh, between this week and next week, read the first three chapters of Revelation yourself and ask these questions. Who's the audience of the letter? How are the symbols defined? How do you feel challenged by the words of Jesus to the churches of Revelation? When you hear these words, do you feel like it challenges you? And what kind of questions does it raise in the reading? And, and I want you to bring your questions, okay? I'm interested in hearing your questions. So if you want to submit them, we've got a contact form on the, on the website. You can contact uh, contact me through the website, put your question if you have a question or comment about relation, Revelation, or if you want to drop something in the box, that's fine. I would love to try to uh, dig into, I, can't, I, I won't necessarily have answers for all your questions, but uh, I would love to consider your questions and see you know, where we can go with them. So, does that sound good? Y'all excited? <laughs> all right. Why don't y'all stand? Let's, let's close in prayer. Jesus, we, we thank you for your word. 
we thank you for the invitation to follow you, to be your disciples. God, I just pray your blessing upon everyone gathered that in the coming weeks, Lord, as we dig into this mysterious book of the Bible, God, that, that we would find you, Lord. I, I pray that where there is fear, you will replace it with love. Where there's anxiety about the events of the world, you, you would just replace that with trust in you. Lord, I, I, I pray that we would find um, more passion in our hearts to worship you. We'd find a bigger view of who you are. Lord, at the end of the day, that we'd look more like you, Jesus. Come and form us. Make us more like you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.